alchemy. Imagination. Hello, greetings, and welcome to Alchemy. Thank you for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoy the show. We're free and on demand from iTunes and alchemyradio.net and you can follow us and join our community on Facebook and Twitter. As I like to say, don't be shy. Say hello. We exist thanks to your kind donations, so a big thank you indeed to everybody who does so via our website. We're completely non-profit and intend to stay that way. Alchemy is the European media partner for the Free Your Mind conference, which is taking place in Philadelphia on April the 15th to 17th of this year. And indeed, we're very much looking forward to attending Free Your Mind number four. It's the biggest conference of its kind in the world and is going from strength to strength and looking forward to reporting from it in April. So what's Free Your Mind all about? Well, it's a three-day conference featuring top-caliber whistleblowers and researchers from all across the world who will shed light upon our world's problems and bring forward empowering solutions. Spreading awareness on the topics of consciousness, mind control, subversive occult influences, holistic body-mind-spirit health and solution-oriented approaches to the problems faced by humanity in these challenging times. The speakers include Jordan Maxwell, Mark Passio, Jim Mars, Max Egan, Mary Sean Young, Kathy O'Brien, Freeman, Ken Rolla, Laura Eisenhower, Josie Wales, Bob Tuscan, Jay Parker, Jamie Hanshaw, Janice Barcelo, Mark Phillips, David Whitehead, John Vibes, Raz Ben, Derek Bowes, Mark Devlin, Josh Rindali and Ron Searcy. More speakers will be announced soon and we'll bring them to you as soon as we have news on them. For more details, go to freeyourmindconference.com and in the meantime, on with the show. Alchemy. Alchemy. This week's guest is Richie Allen. Richie is a broadcast journalist and host of the extremely popular Richie Allen Show, which broadcasts globally and from the UK Monday through Thursday from 8pm GMT. Rather than me wax lyrical about Richie, I'm going to let him do the main introduction to the show and tell us what he's all about and what the show is all about. So it's my great pleasure to welcome him. Richie, how are things? John, things are brilliant. And um, First of all, I want to say thanks for inviting me on. You know I've been listening to the programme since um, about 2012, 2013. I love it. I know people don't like hearing this. They don't like this sycophantic stuff between presenters. But it's a fantastic programme. I never miss it, mate. You can challenge me if you don't believe me. I know you do anyway, because you know I listen to it. And to be featured on it is a huge, huge honour for our programme. Thanks, mate. I really appreciate that. Well, it's a big pleasure, and I'm really happy to have got you on this show, because I'm a big fan of what it is you do. Your show, The Richie Allen Show, which is available all over the world and on all kinds of different platforms and mediums, has just taken the alternative news world by storm it's the closest thing I think to a mainstream in terms of production quality and that side of things the closest thing to the mainstream while espousing both sides of every story which again can be quite rare in the alternative media Um, it's something that I mean we all give out about the mainstream media and how they never show both sides of the story well I think that can equally apply in a lot of cases to the alternative media and you show both sides of every story the production values are so high it's a daily show four times a week and you have the other bits and pieces TV and stuff going on as well 
And I think we're going to have a very interesting chat because I don't think we've ever delved in depth on this show. We had Henrik Palmgren from Red Ice Radio of course, who is the daddy in Europe of alternative news Brilliant, programs yeah. and has been going for almost 10 years now, I think, at this stage. And what a show that is. But you've just come on the scene in the last couple of years and exploded everything and you have a whole new perspective and you have all kinds of guests from all walks of life and there's no agenda with the show apart from truth, which is absolutely fantastic. And we will get into the nitty-gritty of the show and what it's all about and how it came about. But before we do, Richie, I ask everybody the same question when they come on the show for the first time. How did you get from where you were to where you are now? Well, I fell into radio by accident, John. When I left school, I didn't, imme- I didn't immediately go on to third level. I, I did a bit of travelling. I went around. I spent a bit of time in England. Um, spent a bit of time travelling around Europe. Eventually decided that I better get some sort of qualifications. Decided to study English and history. Went and did that. Laterally then went and did, um, much later went and did a degree in uh, television and radio. But that was long after I'd gotten into uh, to TV and radio. But, but um kind of wanted to teach. I didn't know where I was going to do that or what I was going to teach. And while looking for work, um, I ended up scoring a gig in a local nightclub in Waterford City, uh, which used to be known way back as Excalibur. It used to be in the Reginald, which is on the quay in Waterford, near Reginald's Tower, the famous monument there. Mm-hmm. And I began DJing there and in a place called Muldoon's and in a bar called The Old Stand. And I became kind of known as a kind of a 70s and 80s DJ. I'm very, very mindful now that I'm talking to a proper uh, DJ, an absolute legend, uh, as you are, by the way. And congratulations to all your recent success um, with your chart hits and the album and everything. But... I was a gouger. Now, you know what a gouger is. Only too uh, a well. <laughs> a chancer. But I was decent at it, and I, and I had good fun doing it. And I made a decent living out of it. And one night, I, I, I was asked by, um, by, by somebody at one of the gigs, at one of the, the nightclubs, you know, would you be interested in doing radio? You know, you, you sound like you're, you know, you're kind of bubbly guy. Would you be interested in doing some radio? And of course, I thought my ship would come in, all my birthdays had come together, and... It was an overnight gig at the commercial radio station in Waterford called WLR FM, and they wanted me to do the 2 a.m. to 7 a.m. slot, which is a graveyard shift. I thought it was because I was some sort of genius, a previously undiscovered talent, John. But of course, the truth was it's cheaper to hire a young overnight presenter than to hire a security guard. And that's not a joke, that. It is a punchline, and people do laugh at it. But it's actually the truth. It was cheaper. And the way they looked at it was, well, you might get some talent every now and then. You might find somebody that's good. And if you don't, it doesn't matter anyway. Who's listening at three o'clock in the morning? But I did it and I enjoyed it and I worked hard at it. Didn't become a great music presenter. I'd be a lawyer if I said I did. I was chatty and I did a few different things. And I got on well with the people at the station. But I was really into news and current affairs. I was always reading the papers and I had opinions. And I was eventually told... Uh, I say that with, uh, with a big smile on my face. I was told by the presenter of the mid-morning talk program, the flagship program, he said, there's, there's a position coming up as producer of my program. You should apply for it. He said, there will be some good applicants, but I, I want you to apply. He said, I think, you know, you, 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 you kind of might have what, what it is that I want. Um, which was, my politics were different to his. I was very left of centre. I was very confrontational, very argumentative. And he said, um, apply. So I went through the application process and eventually uh, I was offered a job. And I did it and I loved it. And I was responsible then for scheduling interviews on a political, local politics, national politics programme every day, Monday to Friday, two hours, 
which is a big undertaking for you know for a young guy with very little experience of it. But with the good news room and good people around me, I got into it, and the program became it became a more interesting program for younger people than it had been previously. Right. Not going to say for a minute that it was better than it was, not in a million years. It had some amazing producers before me, but I was younger and a bit more, I liked, you know, I liked Jerry Ryan and I liked Howard Stern and people like that. I was thinking we can make it a bit sauce here. You know, we can get more people telling their stories on the air than just interviewing politicians and stuff. And, and it, it, it just really did well. And, you know, we always had good listening figures. The presenter really enjoyed it. He enjoyed uh, me doing doing it with him. I presented it sometimes in his absence. I was terrible, really bad. In fact, the first time I did it, the, the boss of the station said he's never to do it again because I didn't have the experience. But I did a lot of interviews off um, in the field, hmm. interviewing people, editing them to seven minutes, and then it, those interviews would be featured on the show. So it became a regular part of the program. I think, John, you and I have spoken about this previously um, when, when I've spoken to you. It doesn't make me unique, but there are not many of us within this kind of field, this genre of independent media that came out of the commercial radio or television background. And I'm one of the few, I think. I think that really does make you quite unique, certainly to my mind. I mean, I'm sure there are others out there, but I'm not aware of them. I don't know of anyone else. And certainly in terms of the profile that you have now and the impact that you have made since you've come to air, most particularly with The Richie Allen Show. So... I mean, you're working away there in Ireland on radio and you decided to leave then. What happened or what made you leave and where did you go and how has that led you to the UK now and the Richie Allen Show? Well, it's, a mad, it's been a mad 10 or 12 years. Uh, well, it's nearly 14 years now since I left. I had a difficult time growing up in Ireland, John. Um, I had a very difficult childhood. It's, I won't say it's common knowledge because, you know, you, you start to sound very you start to sound like you've got an ego, you know, like you're important or famous. I ain't important and I certainly am not famous, but people who know of me know that I came from a serious domestic abuse background. It was very bad. Went through all the psychotherapy and all of that and got over it and I'm, I'm happy to talk about it now. Um, and I, I difficulties, when I, you know, when, when he eventually uh, left our home and I was 15, 16 and I had a big chip on my shoulder about society and particularly about our community because of the obvious things that were happening to me that primary school teachers, sports coaches and everybody else turned a blind eye to because that's what happens in small towns. And I held a lot of what happened to me. I held it against my town and my country. I'm going to be honest about that. And I fell out of love with, um, with, uh, with Ireland. And I fell out of love with producing commercial radio as well because... I, I fell out of love with the fact uh, how restrictive it was that we were going to talk to politicians about things. They, they were always going to be party men and women. They were always going to be TDs, Choctadola, as, as we know, which would be members of parliament or, or local councillors. We weren't going to source more, what would have been called, you know, more extreme or more out there opinions. We were very set in what we were going to do. We were going to get six or seven guests on a two-hour programme they were going to have five minutes each, and that was the way it was going to be. And we weren't going to really expand beyond that and to the other series about life and world events that, that were out there. And I took a turn against that as well. And I probably developed an even bigger chip on my shoulder about that. And I decided enough was enough for me. And I initially went off to Costa Rica because I got a TEFL qualification. I was going to teach um, English in Costa Rica. But before leaving 
for Costa Rica, I met my 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 current uh, partner, my fiance Caroline. We've been together nearly fourteen years now, and that kind of put the kibosh on the whole Costa Rica thing. Because while there, I was thinking about her. So I came back then to see if there was any chance that this you know French, this lovely French woman, would have any interest in me, hmm. and that kind of caused consternation in my for my previous employers because I left based on I wanted to get away for a year to get away and do something completely different. But I came back very quickly and got together with Caroline but decided very quickly then that as she was a traveller and she wanted to move around. By the way, for your Irish listeners, she wasn't a traveller. I was just about to say it. She wasn't a traveller. <laughs> a a, a traveller or a member of the travelling community for those who aren't Irish listeners is it's an ethnic grouping, indigenous Irish people. Um, oh, so and right. known as travellers to quite a lot of Irish people. So just to make that clarification. And, and many wonderful people whom I've had the privilege to meet while working at WR. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and because uh, I, I, I kind of sounded like um, as if there's something wrong with being a traveller, there isn't. But just in case, you know, oh, Richie, are you a traveller? He's been a, tra- a girl who used to be in the travelling community. No, that would be lovely and very romantic and everything, but that's not the case. Um, we decided very quickly then we would leave. We went, uh, we moved to Manchester. Uh, spent a couple of great years in Manchester, then moved on to Spain because we just moving around and doing stuff. And I was in Spain, I got back into radio and I got back into making programmes like the ones I make now. Um, where I was absolutely free to talk to whomever I wanted to without any bother at all. I remember in Spain, our, our, the owner of our station was a guy called Martin Mason. Martin's a, a Jewish man, and he's a very learned Jewish man. He's a, a scholar of the, of the Torah. There's probably a more eloquent way of saying that, but Martin would lead prayers at the synagogue on Saturday. He's a very learned man. And to his credit, Martin, even though I had a few fallings out with him, to his credit, he, um, he didn't give a damn what we were doing or who we were talking to. He believed in free speech that much. So long as he understood, or at least that, that he felt that me as the presenter and, and, and as a producer didn't hold any hatred or deep-rooted, um, I hate to use the word anti-Semitism because of what it really means, but, mm. but if I didn't, as long as he believes that, he was happy for me to talk about people who would talk about the greater Israel and Zionism and stuff. So that was good. And I, I, I then fell in love with radio all over again. And that led up then to um, me coming back to England in 2013 for the now very, very famous and ill-fated People's Voice. So my journey is a, is a mad one, really, uh, full of loads of accidents, John. But it, it led me up to, as I said, the, the TPV then in London. And what a good place you've ended up with. But just uh, to interject with regard to Ireland, there is a question I want to ask you, and is that, do you miss Ireland? Have you any kind of lost love for Ireland? Do you plan on going back at all? Or what's your relationship with Ireland now, Richie? It doesn't exist, really. It's, it's a strange one. My father passed away last September, um, the man who raised me, hmm. uh, the, man, the, 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 uh, the man responsible for the the terrible things that happened in, in our childhood home. I hadn't had any contact with him for 16 or 17 years. And I get messages on social media. This is the way the world is now, John. Nobody knocks on the door to say, I'm sorry to tell you. Yeah. You now get an inbox message on Facebook. Your father is dead. Wow. <laughs> who, who would have foreseen that years ago? Oh, Jesus. And it was actually a cousin of mine. His brother's son, who amazingly enough lives in Manchester. And God love him, you know, Luckily enough for him, because I mean, if I did have a very close relationship with my father, I, there would have been serious words between me and him because of the way that he told me. But that then threw up a whole lot of feelings about Ireland. And I remember thinking, 
I, I don't want to sound for a minute like I've got some sort of ego because I suppose we all have egos, but I don't really have a, you know, one of those that, you know, where I think about myself and who I am and what people think of me. But, but it did occur to me when the man is laid to rest in a couple of days' time, I was wondering what people would be saying in the city, you know, because I wouldn't be there. Yeah. And he worked at Waterford Crystal you know, one of the most famous Irish companies of all time, if not the, well, Guinness is, of course, and you had Guinness and you had Waterford Crystal and a few others, maybe. But, so obviously there would be a lot of people at the funeral. Thousands of people worked at Waterford Crystal and when one of their own dies, especially a guy who was involved in the union, there would be a, a big deal um, at the funeral. And I, I remember thinking, what will people think? And as I was thinking about that, I kind of got angry again <laughs> about Ireland. But I suppose I should take care uh, and, and proceed with caution when, when I say that I don't have any love for it and that I don't envisage ever li- living in Ireland again anyway, that is really nothing to do really with the people. It's more to do with what the country has become, what it is now, what it could have become and what it's been reduced to now and maybe how on all of our watches, and I include myself in that because I'm you know an Irish uh, boy as well, on all of our watches, how we've allowed our country to become what it is. I, I wish I could love it. I wish I could speak and wax lyrical about it when I'm in Manchester or when I'm in London. And that being said, John, we can criticise Ireland to one another. But when somebody who's not from Ireland criticises us, Jesus, do we jump in there quickly? And I, I've done that quite a few times now uh, over the years. It's 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 a strange. It's it's an estranged relationship. That's what it is. Yeah, it's a very interesting one as well because it's something that I've seen mirrored over the past five or six years amongst my friends and contemporaries. So many people have had to leave Ireland due to the economic situation over the last decade. Tens and tens of thousands have left Ireland. There's been huge mass emigration amongst people in their late teens, early 20s, early 30s and beyond indeed. And there's been a huge drain of people. And a lot of my friends have left and have absolutely no intention of coming back a huge number have gone to Australia for example quite a few to the US the UK and have made new lives for themselves have discovered there are better lifestyles out there depending on what it is they're looking for and have put down roots in other places and that's something that hadn't been seen in Ireland since the 1980s and It's amazing because there's this romanticised view of Ireland internationally and I think that comes from the people because I love Irish people. I think Irish people are great. We've collectively a great sense of humour and individually of course but Irish people have a great sense of humour. We've a kind of an interesting outlook on I suppose adversity. We're able to see the humour in almost any kind of situation and there's also the rebellious streak that we're known for, the fighting Irish that people hear internationally all the time and that is completely at odds with Ireland the state and we're seeing so much of the state of Ireland in the news at the moment because the year is 2016 which is of course the 100 year the centenary anniversary of the 1916 rising whereby there was an armed uprising by a group of patriots against the occupying force in the country at the time which was the British crown and because of that I think there's a huge uh, there's a lot of flag waving that goes on of course we have the annual St. Patrick's Day ritual which kind of bugs me a little bit as well because knowing Irish history and I studied Irish history and have done for years and years all my life real Irish history as opposed to a lot of the tripe that is told to us in schools because most Irish people and I I don't mean to say this that oh I have all the answers and I know everything about Ireland of course I don't but 
if people care to if people care to scratch beneath the surface they will realize that Irish history is not the mainstream Irish history from the history books that we're told there's a depth to Irish history and Irish culture and indeed going back to ancient history globally and many people would argue that the roots of global civilization as we know it stem from Ireland and that's a show for a complete other day but that's never touched upon we're told that Ireland started to exist and we, we were all cavemen running around the place until St. Patrick came along introduced Christianity and saved everybody and then we were medieval muck savages <laughs> until we kind of got rid of the English um, so we had the 1916 rising and then of course the war of independence etc etc and it can be argued that very little has actually changed since 1916 apart from the flag but that again is a story for another day so I see this almost cognitive dissonance that has sprung up amongst our people between love for Ireland and Irishness and what it means culturally to be Ireland and family and friends and the sense of community that has traditionally been so strong in Ireland and Ireland the flag or the state or the republic and many people while they do realise there is a distinction they're very reluctant to draw the line between the two it's something that I firmly do myself and I love Irishness and what it means to be Irish but I don't love the Republic of Ireland and the state because what that represents to me is testing ground almost an experiment coming from Europe and it's let's see how much these traditionally revolutionary, uh, revolutionary and rebellious people can take in terms of the control system and let's throw this that and the other at them in I don't know whether it's chemtrails whether it's taxes whether it's all these new rules and regulations let's see how much they can bend over and take it up the proverbial rear end and you know what we're taking it more and more and more and people will give out in the comfort of their own homes Richie and they'll bitch and they'll moan and they'll complain I'm guilty of it myself the whole time but very few people will actually kind of separate the two so Irishness and that sense of community versus the state and the control system and how this democracy we've just had an election in Ireland and everybody's talking about democracy again how different is our version of enforced democracy from say the socialist ideals I mean if you look at the actual end result of what happens with western democracy and it takes a lot longer than say communism during the cold war or fascism during Italy and uh, Nazi Germany during the second world war you don't see it manifest as quickly but is there actually any difference between Obama's and Tony Blair and David Cameron and Bertie Ahern's democracy in the western world yeah, versus I don't think there is I mean fair enough you're not seeing camps with Stalin throwing people to their deaths or all this kind of stuff it's not as overt but I do think that democracy is not what is presented and I think that's the veil that is thrown over Ireland over the last number of years and that has made me fall out of love with the say the republican ideals or the the state for want of a better word I do still love Irishness and I mean I've kind of ranted there for a little while and I don't normally do it on this show but you just sparked something in me when you were talking about how you don't have any particular love for Ireland and what Ireland means to you today is something completely different to the international view of Irishness which the state is so careful to I, I don't know, every St. Patrick's Day you have all our, our supposed leaders going out all around the world and presenting this nice glossy view, this cartoonish view of what Ireland is all about to the world. And I think a lot of people do take that on board and they think that's what Ireland is when 
the reality is very very different in a real sense for so many people in the country and you're living breathing proof of that and I think your experience while the nuances of it may be quite different to a lot of other people the end result is that you're not living in Ireland you don't have any real intention of going back for whatever reason and you've outlined your own particular reasons for it so it it must be said though John forgive me for, for interrupting go for it. fascinating listening to that because it's brilliant it's brilliantly put what you've just said there because it describes it to a T really better than I could there, there's also that, that there are two things I'm aware of listening to you number one I understand why People like you, people like John Gibbons, who are trying to do stuff, people like Ben Gilroy, for example. I've all the time in the world, you introduced me to to Ben Gilroy in the past. It was you who introduced me to him. Um, Thank God you did. People like that. I can understand people like Ben getting fed up with people like me because... You know, I, I'm not. I'm not saying Ben has. He might not have. He might be fed up with me. He might not be. But but he might say, you know, it's easy for guys like you. We stayed. Some of us stayed to try and restore this country to what it um, it could be, or what it should be, or what it might be. Guys like you go off around the world, and you know, you sometimes, you know, in in programs, you say things like that. You don't have any love for Ireland, and I, and I can understand that. Second of all, about my determination not to return. Some of it is, is rooted in the fact that Caroline's very, very close to her family and her home. Uh, she's originally from the northeast of France, and I've always fancied that we might eventually settle there for good in in France after travelling around there for the best part of 14, 15 years. Mm. So those are two things to uh, to bear in mind. But you've put it so well about, about Ireland and about people like me and our our feelings for the country and the state as opposed to, you know, us uh, as a people full of, you know, full of amazing invention, full of incredible talent um, for writing, uh, for, for, for speaking, of course, um, for understanding uh, life, for raising families. There's so, much, there's so much to admire about the collective, you know, sometimes it's dangerous to generalise about a race or about an ethnic group, but you're absolutely right to attribute those um, those qualities uh, collectively to the Irish people because that is that's been my experience with Irish people. But um, and I'm also mindful of the fact, John, that um, I probably still have a bit of a chip on my shoulder. Maybe we all do, and I'm 41 now. Maybe I still think I know everything, and maybe in 10 years' time, you know, I won't still feel that I know everything, and I might be drawn back home to to where it is that. I grew up and to see, you know, the people whom I shared my life with in, you know, in, 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 my, in, in, my, in my childhood years and in my teenage years. Mm. So we deal in absolutes when we probably shouldn't and I'm as guilty as anybody else at doing that. But um, loved what you've had to say and you've said it not just here but on other programmes you've um, been a guest on about, you know, Ireland as the experimental testing ground for the, for the European project and for what people can take. I think that's brilliantly put and brilliantly observed and it's exactly what I see yeah and I think more and more people are starting to see that as time goes on and as that uh, as there is a disconnect that develops as people have to and are forced to due to economic circumstances emigrate from Ireland and it brings you then to the Richie Allen show you're based in the UK, so how did the Richie Allen show specifically come about? You've mentioned the People's Voice and how that was ultimately an ill-fated project, but it gave you a taste for what is now going on with 
the explosive show that is your current show, The Richie Allen Show. So tell us about the genesis of that and what the learning curve has been like and I suppose what the angle that you take with the show is. So, I mean, every single show has some form of an agenda. We all claim we have no agenda whatsoever, but we all have our own particular stamp and we have a way that we like to do things. What is yours with The Richie Allen Show? Um, well, first of all, you're right. It came out of the People's Voice in London, which finished up in, I suppose, April or May of 2014. It lasted about eight months. It um, it began through a crowdfunding initiative that David supported and raised a few hundred thousand pounds, but didn't bring in any more money, couldn't draw revenue or advertisers or sponsors. And making in-house productions and everything that goes with working and making stuff in London, it didn't survive very long, tragically, because there were some very, very good people there that I met, some terrific people. Uh, I was introduced to programmes like yours. So I was very insulated in Spain. I was doing what I was doing and making it up as I went along in terms of I would discover somebody like you, for example, and I would interview them. But I didn't have people around me who understood the genesis, not the genesis, but the, who understood the history of the independent media. So I didn't know anybody. So all of a sudden I'm in London and I'm meeting people like John Gibbons. I remember the day you came in to say hello to us. I was delighted. Fantastic. So I was listening to Alchemy Radio. I saw fantastic. So I was meeting people like you. I met people like Max Egan, Zen Gardner. We could name other people that I bumped into that I, that, that I came across. I started to learn about who was doing what and what they were finding out and, and all of that. But at the end of it, I was in a, I was in a bit of a, in a weird place. I was in a, or at a crossroads, for want of a better word. What am I going to do now? Offered a position, or I was offered a position by a radio station in the north of England, a commercial station, would be reasonably well known. They said, look, will you uh, think about coming on and doing the breakfast? We'll find you uh, a co-presenter. We like you. We don't like um, a lot of the stuff you were talking about, but we don't care. Um, we, we know you have a background in radio. We like the way you sound, kind of a thing. And I was like, well, you know, we all need to work. So I might have to do that, even though doing the news and the travel and the traffic and talking about the X Factor and all the sort of stuff that Breakfast Radio deals with today probably would have driven me to death by boredom within probably a matter of months, really. But David Ike then, David gave me a ring and David said, look, why don't you make a programme? Make a radio program. Make it daily. If you can, make it daily. Make it as many days as you can. Set it up and I will stream it for you. I will back it and stream it. And I don't want anything for that. And I don't want to be um, involved from from a production point of view because then it'll become my show. I don't want to do that. He's, I remember at the time he said, your journey is kind of fascinating, Rich, because you really are still so new to so much of what people are doing and saying. And you, there's so much of it that you don't have any clue about. And that's going to be interesting, you making a show as you're finding out this stuff. Because a lot of programs are presented by people who've got a real deep understanding of what's going on. But never before a program presented by somebody who really doesn't have much of a clue, which sums me up. And I'm not being modest now. That really does sum me up right there. So I said, right, David, how are we going to fund it? And at the time, there was a guy based in the Far East, who had a company, he knew um, uh, somebody connected to David, and he said, I'll sponsor, this was a wealthy guy, he said, I'll sponsor it for a year, and I'll give you the cost of it for a year. You know, my, my living costs are very moderate. Caroline has always worked, and has a good job. Um, I've always been clever with the few quid that I have, 
not mean but clever you know I'm always putting a couple of quid away for a rainy day and I thought right let's have a go with that but very quickly the guy reneged on his promise and left us in the lurch in fact left us owing money so I was about to, to start frantically ringing around the commercial stations again in fact I spoke to uh, a commercial station in Ireland at that stage who were very interested in me coming and doing something with them from a production point of view long story short anyway David said look ask the audience to make a contribution to the programme two pounds or a pound or five pounds or whatever it is a month and he said see see what happens I was reluctant at the time because I'm always used to always used to getting a wage John to work in 40, 50 hours a week but knowing what's coming in at the end of the month we are wage slaves like it or not we're trying to change that but that's the paradigm as it is now yeah. that's the bloody reality of it so David said look the listeners will come through and they did slowly but surely as the program began to generate enough money to cover the cost of putting it on every month and I couldn't believe this I mean I, I genuinely couldn't believe and again I'm not being at all modest because I'm not the most modest guy in the world I just couldn't believe it that, that people would do that and that on a nightly basis people would be tweeting live into the show they would be emailing it and I would say once a night remember now there is no money here if you, if you want me to do the programme send us a couple of quid and we'll continue to do it and I felt very bad about that I felt like I was begging you know and I, I kept saying that I don't like this. What I really want to do is go back out and get a job. But Dave was like, look, calm down. Just do it. It's, um, it's, it's enjoyable to listen to. I like it. And it's interesting to listen to a guy knowing so little, like me, um, finding his way. Now, it must be said, to this day, regardless of how many people it has listening now, whether it's 100 or 500 or 1,000 or 10,000, it would be nothing without the support of David Icke. There's been a little bit of jealousy. It does make me laugh. I see some snipey comments from other producers, um, you know, basically saying, uh, well, this would be nothing without David Icke. That's true. And they don't like it when I say that either. They expect me to get annoyed by that. I say, it's th that's true. Uh, David Icke decided to stream it on davidike.com. Without that, it would never have gotten an audience and it would never have reached the scale of audience it did in the, uh, in, 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 in the first six or seven months. So it's absolutely true. And I'm just thrilled that, that he did it, number one. And I love the fact he's involved from that side of it, putting it out there on davidike.com. I wouldn't do it now without David supporting it. Why? Because um, I'd be isolated? No, because David is such a great guy and I've gotten to know him so well. And he was such an amazing broadcaster himself as a breakfast TV presenter and as a sports presenter that I'm always thinking of him when I'm doing the interviews. So when I'm talking to John Gibbons, yourself, or, or, or anybody about matters finance or or matters more esoteric, thinking, how would David have done that interview? What would he have asked? Would he be happy with that? Did I, should I have gone down another avenue? Now, funny enough, that's not too different to working in commercial radio where you have your weekly session, John, with the head of programmes. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, Richie, interview John Gibbons. And I can't believe he didn't know that John was in Australia. I can't believe he didn't know his single was in, uh, was in the top 10 and had just been played on BBC Radio 1. Come on, Richie, get your finger out of your arse kind of a thing. And I kind of think of David like that, you know? And I, I do say to him sometimes, give me a bit of a briefing. And every now and then he'll give me a briefing. Say, well, you should have done that. should have said that. I, I listen back to this interview. Why didn't you jump on this or that? And that's brilliant. Uh, and without that, I think I'd lose interest in it and I'd probably try and find a job. But he's been central to the success of it because he supported it. But he supports the independent media blanket. Everybody. I mean, his headlines page every day is filled to the brim 
with content from other producers, whether it's natural news, Infowars, whether it's um, Rinf Media, Alchemy, whatever it is, he's always doing it. And so it's down to him, really. It was his idea. He said, don't go back to commercial, try this and see how it goes. And look how well it's turned out. You actually lived as well, as an interesting footnote, with David for a while, didn't you? Hilarious. What was that like? It was brilliant. It was the most bizarre thing to happen, really. When we were decamping from Spain to London, David said to me, of course, he said, I'm going to be in London as well because I'm going to spend the first six months there while we try and make the uh, People's Voice project work. Um, We're having a good chat. In fact, um, I met him in Camden Town when some of the more senior people came together to try and work out the logistics of the People's Voice. I don't know why I was invited. I suppose it's because of my production background in in commercial radio. But I was there anyway with with others, and we got on like a you know we got on famously like a house on fire, as the cliche goes. In Camden, we had a right good laugh, and one or the other of us suggested it. More than likely, it was me after a few scoops. Uh, I said, "Well, why if we're going to come? Because we we have a dog, and she's been with us everywhere, Spain, everywhere." And I said, "We're going to rent some place with two or three bedrooms." someplace near Wembley. You know, you'd be mad to go off and rent your own place. Why don't you spend that particular time, if it's only going to be six months, spend it with us. Uh, went to Caroline. Caroline is like, yeah, great idea. Why not? You know, even though we are very private people, I suppose, we used to our own space. We're an old couple now, 13 years together now, John. And it just worked unbelievably well. We had the time of our lives there, even though it was very difficult working sometimes 14, 16 hour days at TPV. We were tired, but we always had time for a pint in the local pub in the afternoon, take a cheap bottle of wine back every now and then to the to the apartment. We watched TV, we played music, and we got on famously. And I fell in love with the man. Caroline fell in love with him, absolutely worships him uh, to this day. And, um, you know, what a generous guy David is. What a funny guy he is, strangely enough. People don't see that side of him. Got an amazing sense of humour. Very self-deprecating sense of humour. And all the time in the world for other people and other people's opinions. Again, sometimes he doesn't give that impression. And anybody who's interviewed him will tell you that. <laughs> because <laughs> he's got so much to say and it's important and it takes time to, to explain it. But this is a guy who's keenly interested in other people. He wouldn't be doing what he's doing and have done it for so long if he wasn't. Um, so it was a wonderful experience living with him. And in fact, when he moved back to the Isle of Wight and we were left in, in London and we were still, well, I was still working at TPV, he left a big vacuum. And we remarked on this several times, not that we're this couple that doesn't speak to one another, of course, but we were saying to one another at times, you know, it was it, it was great crack, wasn't it? It was great crack when, you know, we'd go and we'd have, um, you know, uh, watch, watch a game of football in the pub or... They used to use the jukebox at the, the, the local booze or all the locals went and they'd play music there and just great getting to know him really. And we became really close uh, friends of, uh, of David's. Uh, and I'd gotten on well with him before that, interviewing him on the radio in Spain and um, chatting to him over the years. But um, we developed a really close bond. And I think David felt somehow responsible for me when the people's voice kind of came to an end, John. You know, I think he was right. thinking, See, I, got, I, I persuaded Richie to leave his idyllic lifestyle in Spain. But the truth was, things were very difficult in Spain. We'd had a few really good years there, but I began to find work impossible to come by in Spain, post 2008. Mm. And it left me in this situation where I couldn't do anything there, so I was gonna have to move anyway. But David felt very responsible for it, even though he wasn't at all. And he's like, oh, well, Richie, make this program and I'll 
and I'll put it on davidike.com and I think it's been 18 months now since we started doing it and I said to David as long as you're happy to stream it as long as it's not something that you don't like you know if you because there might come a time you might say it's not it's not me anymore fair enough if that point comes but as long as he's happy with it I'll keep doing it and again people might not understand that but I think you will because you're a content producer hmm. and you're an expert at what you do making music and, 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 and making this alchemy program and you know and I, I bet John Gibbons I bet you've got one or two people who know how to make programs who are really good at it that they are your go-to people when it comes to how am I sounding how am I doing Absolutely. And from my first day in radio, I've had people like that. And without people like that, who act as a sounding board for me, I think I would be still back at day one when I was a completely green. And obviously, I've still got a huge amount to learn. We learn every day, but I'm a lot better than I was 10 years ago. And it's down to the feedback and the honest feedback of people like that. And as you said, it's always in the back of your mind. Well, how would such and such a person present this style of show or this little feature on the show or whatever it is and that that improves you I mean you can borrow and you can be influenced by and I think if you're not open to other people's feedback and styles and the good things that they do well you're never going to grow and improve yourself so I think that's absolutely vital it has been for me certainly yeah that's it and you know he I mean David is busy most of the time but I I do bug him once or so a month and I say um, you know did you hear this he will sometimes send an email to say, oh, I just listened to this interview that we put on the website. Really, really good stuff, Rich. And I'll get back to him and say, well, you know, give me a bit more than that now, you know? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? What, um, what was good about it? Or what, you know, what wasn't good about it? Could we, could we have gone here or there? And then he will do that sometimes. Well, you might, next time you have this person on, you might explore this, you might explore that. And um, I, I've always, of course, I have an ego. Uh, you know, I'm brash. I'm a bit confrontational, more so in my private life than I am really, you know, in, in terms of being on air and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I do have a very, very thick skin me. I don't offend easily. And I don't get to hump when somebody says that was crap. I always say, right, well, tell me why it was crap and let's see how we can improve it. I've always been like that. And, you know, it's the only bit of humility I have, John. Well, to be able to turn what is potentially a negative into something positive is a great gift to have and it's a great skill rather than a gift. And it's something that uh, I know certainly I could learn to develop a bit better and we all probably could to varying degrees. And you seem to have that to a T. I've been struck by how polished the show is because there are, there are many, many polished shows within the alternative media. But your show, to my mind, is probably standout-ish in that it has the production qualities of a high-end mainstream media show. And whether we like the mainstream media or not, or whether listeners like it or not, there is a huge amount of very, very polished content out there. We mightn't like the agendas being pushed or what the content specifically is, but it's polished. And your show is polished. It has the mainstream media sensibilities with regard to production values combined with a very balanced outlook. And it's almost anti-agenda, which I think is a great thing. You know, it's it's all very well that we're going to push an alternative viewpoint all the time, but the alternative viewpoint isn't always correct. And your show never kind of lets us stray too far from the other side of things. There's always a balance. There's always somebody to talk about, well, yeah, you know, but well, that's all very well, Richie, but it could be viewed this way or that way or the other way. And that's quite often lacking, as I mentioned a little bit earlier on in the show. So when you decided to set up the show and start the show, had you any kind of a a clear agenda or goals with regard to the direction that the show would go or was it very much a let's wait and see type scenario? 
You're incredibly astute there. When we were at TPV in London, David used to always say this, we've got to emulate the mainstream in terms of our production values. We must do that. We must look glossy and colourful. And we must look... um, What did he say exactly? He had a term now, it's gone now, but it was brilliant. I, I instantly grasped what he was trying to say. He was trying to say that... There, when you scratch beneath the surface of the mainstream media, there's nothing. Mm. Well, it's dark. We know what it is, but it's it's empty, vacuous, hollow rhetoric, pro propaganda, uh, pro establishment propaganda. That's what it is. We want to look fantastic. We want to look shiny and glossy and great production values. But when you scratch on our surface beneath it, you see depths and you see something that's solid and something that's decent and something that's good. And when I started the Richie Allen radio show. That was in the back of my mind all the time. And in fact, when David said do it, I said to David, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it as I would produce the radio shows at WLRFM. I'm going I'm to open the program with news headlines. I'm going to put on, you know, a semi... I'm going to put on an interesting monologue where I'm going to play some news headlines. Then I'm going to get into a really good guest, which uh, is most of the time relevant to something in the headlines. Not always, but most of the time. And then in the second area, we're going to get into an even greater depth interview with somebody either related to the news or something esoteric that's really important. But it's going to be punctuated by news um, from feature story news at the top of the hour. It's going to be punctuated by um, appropriate music when we do need to uh, play music. And it's going to be exactly as if I was brought back to WLR or if I was on a commercial station here, how I would be expected to present that. That's exactly what I wanted to do I wanted it to I wanted people like you to say right this is this is sound and professional this in fact the best compliment we got was um, when Talk Radio Europe whom were uh, streaming the programme in Spain until I stopped it because there was there was money problems and they, they had it for a while they were supposed to have it for a while and then give me some money and then they didn't and I said right okay not because they're malicious now or anything uh, making radio in Spain is very very difficult very difficult to make money and I understood that but at the same time you know they were paying their other presenters and I thought well you know you, you, you might find some money for the Richie Allen show but anyway neither here nor there when it was on there it was common according to their administration staff for people to contact them and say why are you going to the BBC so early in the evenings? Because most radio stations in Spain, they go to BBC, the World Service, overnight because they can't afford to pay presenters. And that was a great compliment to me because what it was saying to me was was that I was meeting the target of making it sound like it was, you know, it would be, you wouldn't be surprised if you were switching the dial in your car and you came across a commercial station and it was on there. And to me, that was eureka. That was a great, that's exactly what, I want. I want it to sound like that, regardless of whether I have a traditional broadcasting voice or not, which I don't. I don't care. I'm going to do it in that way that it sounds like you'd be happy. If somebody said to you, oh, that's, that's on East Coast Radio in Ireland or that's on uh, Radio Cork Kerry or whatever, you'd go, yeah, 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 understandably, I'd expect that. Mm. And, and that was really the only agenda. Now, I know what you're getting at. Of course, I've got very strong opinions. I've got strong opinions about money, about finance, I've obviously been influenced by the books I've read over the years. I've read all of David's books, Jim Mars, John Perkins. Uh, we could be here all day. You've read the same books, Mr. Gibbons, so you know. Yeah. And, and those have influenced me and influenced my beliefs. But at the same time, I always wanted to do these interviews with people like um, the people we've mentioned, 
but not to be sitting there going, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, and another thing. And you're right, because I always wanted to say, well, listen, what about the... I always wanted to be asking the questions as if I was the person who completely didn't believe any of this. You know, if I'm listening to it and, you know, I, you know, I work in the post office or I work in a bank or I work wherever, and I think this is complete conspiracy madness. Mm. I want to... I want my guests to understand that they need to reach those people. So it's no good interviewing John Gibbons. And all, all that you've done with respect to educating people about what's, what's going on in Ireland and in Europe, through alchemy, through even your music and meeting people at your gigs, your incredible gigs all over the world. I want to say to you, right, don't talk to me and don't talk to all those listeners listening on davidike.com who already understand this. Let's think about the person who hasn't a clue. It's then we have to educate to this sort of stuff. So I've got to say, well, John, you know, surely there'd be more evidence if vaccines were killing people. Yeah, yeah. There'd, 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 there'd be children dropping down all over the place. What's going on? And then shut up and let them answer that. And David always said, you know, if the truth is the truth, it'll stand up to any questioning. But I'm not rude, you know, I'm not jumping down people's throats. I'm not Jeremy Paxman, God, I could never be him. He was an amazing, um, you know, attack journalist. He was the best ever probably at doing that. But you can gently say to people, come on, I had Yvonne Ridley on last week, George Galloway's mate, believes that Bashar al-Assad is the devil, believes that Gaddafi is the devil, and, you know, they were responsible for what's happened in their countries. Now, we know that's not true. Mm. But I can bring Yvonne in and go, oh, come on, Yvonne, you know, let's look at it this way, let's look at it that way. And it makes, for me, it makes for a better interview. And you know what, John? The people who are on the verge of coming to the information, I think they're more likely to get something from that way of doing things than if I was sitting there knowing everything and, you know, just uh, giving a free ride to every guest who, uh, who came on. I think that's what David saw from the beginning. Richie really doesn't know very much of what's going on. He thinks he does, but he doesn't. And that's, you know, and I'm not referring to myself in a third person. I haven't left Planet Earth now in terms of my ego, but that's what he was thinking. And that's been my approach to it. And, um, I've probably bored you to death trying to explain that. But that's what it is. The person who doesn't understand, how can you reach them? I get that. And I think that's absolutely valuable. So, I mean, if, if the word agenda is to be used or misused by me with regard to how you approach the show in the early days, what better agenda is there to have than that? And to let people deal with the information in their own way rather than preaching? Because I think preaching doesn't work. I've discovered this in my own personal life over the years. Um, I'm, I'm not the most patient person in the world. I'll be the first to admit that. And I've often kind of had a preachy attitude towards family and friends with regard to information that I think people need to know using inverted commas there and people only need to know what they're open to knowing themselves because it doesn't matter whether you think they should know it or I think they should know it or anybody else thinks they should know it if somebody is not open to that information they're never going to know it anyway so I think to plant a seed and to give both sides of a view or point or an argument is far more valuable to the people that you're trying to reach never mind ourselves because we're just the conduits for information or the facilitators I think it's far more important for those people themselves and then by all means once they've had a little look at it themselves and there, there is no way to know something without examining it for yourself otherwise you're just believing what somebody else is saying and we all know where, where belief systems get us so I think it is very very important to plant that seed and then let people 
treat the information in the way that they want to because if they come to their own conclusion on it well by all means then argue the point but I'm not in a position to argue a point unless I've looked at both sides of the story in the same way as somebody who I'm trying to maybe bring some new information to is not in a position to do that either until they've gone away and had a look at it so I really admire that viewpoint and I think it's quite an admirable one it must be a difficult one at times and a frustrating one and I think it requires a lot of discipline and when I listen to your show that comes through for me as somebody who understands the behind the scenes involvement with putting a show together and the production values and how difficult it can be and the time that goes into it I mean you're doing four days of radio a week you're doing the podcast you're doing the TV show there's so much happening there and people hear a two hour show but it's not the case that that's what it takes you don't get up for two hours in the day and just record a radio show and head off then and enjoy your leisure time. Tell us about the behind the scenes stuff and what goes into creating the show. Well, we're recording this on a weekday, you and I. So my my weekday is 5.30. I'm up at 5.30. Tell the missus you've got 90 minutes left in bed. Lucky beggar. Uh, (laughs) She rolls over and goes back to sleep. I I hit the road with the dog down for a 5k run or a very, very light jog. Listen to Radio 4, Radio 5, um, Morning Ireland hasn't started by then but if I catch the end of that I'll catch the end of it I'll catch it in the house anyway she goes off to work by 7 and I'm at it then pretty much all day long till around about 6 in the afternoon of course I take 20 minutes here and there I take the dog out again we, we, we head off but it's it's 11 hours and that takes me to about 6, 6.30 have a light dinner then you know I'm of the old school you eat big in the breakfast you eat lighter at lunch and it gets progressively less during the day so I have a light tea and then from seven then I'm at the studio and I'm inputting to the playout system the various clips that I've downloaded and I've edited that day for the opening part of the programme and making sure I've got all the notes in order that I don't forget to say this or that with the guests and then you're on air at eight and you're finished at ten I get the podcast online within about twenty minutes of ending the programme I get the sound uh, editing I get the, 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 the audio recordings of each guest to Simon who uh, gets them on the YouTube channel. I'm in bed by midnight and 5.30, 5.45 the following day, it all begins again. And that's pretty much every day because the television show is an extension of the radio programme and the Sunday podcast. And I'm glad you brought it up because alchemy is outstanding and you wouldn't have alchemy uh, and people wouldn't have it without people contributing to it. And sourcing material for alchemy and remember some of the esoteric guests talking about the nature of reality and other things that come on John Gibbons' um, brilliant alchemy. You, you've got to remember the amount of time that goes into reading what these people have written, what they have said, listening to their previous interviews. Not to catch them out, but you need to know everything. Mm. This is unbelievably time-consuming. And that is why it's vital that you do support the independent media only if you can afford it. Nobody's demanding anything of you. If you're listening to this now with John uh, Gibbons, honour this by supporting it if you can by using the button there on the um, on the page um, to donate to Alchemy because that's the way it is that's the kind of that's what we're up against with respect to mainstream media as much as we can reach lots and lots of people Alchemy is heard by thousands of people my show is heard by thousands of people as well John and I have big audiences but nobody's coming to us saying oh we want to advertise on your programme you know I run, I've run two ads in 18 months would you believe mm. you know despite the numbers we can't get Advertising, so we need people to support that. And I'm glad you brought up the time and effort that goes into it because it's a 60 hour a week job for me. You're up to your neck with 
what you do we're making your outstanding music by the way you know I'm an old school fan I'm an old Three Drives fan and oh, uh, Paul Van Dyke and all that sort of so that, that's what I kind of grew up listening to um, but I know you're, you're, you're brilliant and what you do is amazing and making time for this is incredible it is and we do more work than the mainstream media because these producers of these programmes they don't research or do anything they get rip and read press releases from government departments they rewrite them into their own words and they put it out there on the air and they do nothing the likes of John Gibbons and the likes of me and Red Ice and everybody else, we're at it morning, noon and night researching what we're doing. And, and you know, I'm glad you brought it up. I, I don't want to sound again like I have a chip on my shoulder. I certainly don't. But um, if you listen to programs like this, like Alchemy, and if you can afford to make a contribution and you don't, shame on you. Have a second thought about that. That's and and at the that. very least, get the information out there. Share the information exactly. because I think the, the biggest support anyone can give us is to listen and share it. It's a labour of love for all of us. I know I, I, I'm correct in speaking for you on that point as well. And the reason we've got into this is because we are passionate about it and we do think it's important work. And at the end of the day, we are just the conduits, as I said earlier on. We're just the people who are allowing the real researchers and the people with the actual knowledge to bring it to the table. So we provide the table and others lay it then, you know, and and, and bring people to that movable feast of information. So it's very important to stress that. I mean, it's it's a labour of love. We're people who are into radio and we're into this medium. And we love doing what we're doing and it's certainly not about money or anything like that. It can't be done without a certain amount of it and it's always hugely appreciated. But if you're not in a position to donate, well then don't donate. Just keep listening and keep putting other people onto the information because that's what it's all about, you know. So with regard to the information then that is covered in the Richie Allen Show because it's a veritable smorgasbord of different viewpoints and different opinions and different topics and you cover way more than any other show that I certainly have come across across in any kind of media never mind just the, the, the alternative media but there's so much stuff so you're looking at absolutely every facet of the control system and beyond how do you decide on your guests Richie and on I mean on a weekly basis do you have certain people that you go after or is it a kind of throw enough mud and some will stick or what way do you because you have so many guests on the show on a weekly basis how do you decide who's going to come on yeah, it's all. It's a bit like that sometimes throwing mud. Well, we we look at what's. I look at what's in the what what what, what the BBC and Channel Four and Sky and all the rest of them are talking about, because I know that the perplexed. I, I've become very very close friends with Jean Ann Crowley from Educating Rita, and uh, and Doctor Who, a wonderful Irish actress. Uh, lives in Cleggan in Galway and uh, Cleggan is in Galway isn't it I'm going to be killed if I said it, it is of course uh, in the West and, uh, and in Dublin amazing woman and she's kind of undergone in recent years her own dare we say that cliched word awakening but that's what she's undergone and she's become like me she's become to understand that things are not as they appear so what I to, to reach people who are on the, the verge of understanding and who really feel something is wrong, I think you've got to cover what's in the mainstream media, but but from an alternative point of view. Mm-hmm. So I try as much as I can on a weekly basis. What's in the news now? What's being said that's very... Da- so at the moment, of course, it's the European Union in Britain, EU, in a referendum June 23rd. Of course, it's Syria, right? Monumental lies are being told on the BBC every day of the week about these things, about these issues. Who's credible that's saying something different that I can bring on? They might wind up some of my audience who know a lot. Like when Yvonne Ridley was on last week, I get abusive emails 
for people who really like the show, so long as I'm talking to people who are wide awake to everything. So when, and I'm, I'm not kissing your arse, but when John, John Gibbons is on, brilliant, John gets it. Great, great. But let's get somebody on who doesn't get it. Mm. You know, but, but they get it up to a point, like Yvonne Ridley, who understands that something very wrong is going on. But Yvonne is very mainstream. So, um, so, so I do that a lot. What's in the news? Who can be going to say something different? You know, uh, whether it's a professor of sociology at a university who understands exactly what privatisation is and what it's doing because privatisation is so current at the moment. Do we even start talking about NAMA, John, the National Assets Management Agency? Every one of them should be executed, put up against the wall and killed, says the pacifist. No, I don't really believe that. But that's obviously very topical. So who can we get on to talk about that? So I look at that. Then that's newsy. But then I think I want to do nature of reality stuff. I know nothing about it. And this is where I plagiarise Alchemy and John Gibbons and people like you. Because you wrote the book on finding credible people to talk about the universe and what it is. So I know that this is very important as well, but I know so little about it. So I've got to get into that. So I, you, I lean on sources like you and others, and I'm, getting, and I'm going to become better at crediting people who deserve credit, like you and others. Um, who do these great interviews and I write that, I'll get that person on in a few weeks time brilliant on John Gibbons sometimes then three or four, three or four weeks have gone and I, I should say I heard this guy in Alchemy I'm going to do more of that because it's only right that's kind of how I do it now in recent weeks a wonderful woman called Claire Calvi has come on Claire is very new to understanding that all is not as it appears geopolitically or uh, metaphysically either mm. so She's come on board now and started to go after people that she'd like to see on the programme. This is brilliant, you see, because until now it's been me. I want um, Ben Gilroy on. I want um, Cynthia McKinney on or whomever. It's just me. I'm getting my own way. That can be maybe destructive long term. So I brought Claire in because she offered to come in and help out. She's she's written uh, wonderful parenting articles for many, many years, wide awake, uh, really wide awake to Zionism and the Israel question and the greater Israel and all of that. So Claire has come in there and said, right, you should talk to this woman or that woman. You know, she got Keith Alan Noble on the programme during the week last week, the guy talking about the Port Arthur massacre. I would have never heard it, wouldn't have a clue, no idea. Claire comes in and says, right, this is what you do. So that's my approach to it. It is a semi-mid-term approach. I don't generally work from day to day. You know, I try to be three, four days, uh, if I can be, a week in advance with guests uh, coming on the programme. Right. I do address the gender balance though, Mr Gibbons. I try to address the gender balance or imbalance. I try to get as many uh, female voices on the programme as I can because this is, uh, this is not me trying to score points with anybody, by the way. I am a bastard. Don't <laughs> think I'm the nicest guy in the world now. I'm not. <laughs> but I know and you know because you, you've worked and continue to work in commercial radio yourself. You know that, well, women are an afterthought. Let's be honest about it. In media in general. So we, I try and get as many women as I can on. Because there are some amazing women around the world writing brilliant blogs, saying really important things about the the state of affairs in their country, in their homes, in their towns, but nobody is paying attention to them. So with Claire coming on board, that's brilliant as well. Because I said to Claire, you know, be almost what what what's the what's the word when they talk about um, positive discrimination? That's the term, John, isn't it? Positive discrimination. Try and um, get some more women on. In fact, I was delighted. I did, um, I did a very, very brief interview with a, a station in America just before Christmas, and it was with a woman. And she, uh, I was delighted that she noticed, looking through the YouTube channel, 
the proliferation of female commentators. I thought, brilliant. And, and I, I was also glad that she got that. That wasn't me, you know, in any way being this, you know, smarmy, slick guy who wanted to curry favour with women. It's because ever since working at WNR, I've always felt that. Mm. You know, we had, we had Nicola Beresford, great broadcaster Nicola. I don't know if she's still doing anything with WNR. She might be. But outside of that, we didn't have anybody. There weren't really many women there uh, at the time. I might get stick for saying that now because I might be forgetting one or two. But there weren't really, you know, overall, over the whole week schedule, there wasn't. I think today they've got a uh, they've got a woman doing drive time for them, um, who I believe is decent. That's good. That's progressive. And uh, one half of the breakfast team is a woman as well. So that's progress. But by and large, in the media, as you said there, women are an afterthought. And I... You know, I've always um, kind of not liked that very much and sought to try and in a tiny way kind of redress that. And if you look at our YouTube channel over the 18 months, you'll see that there's at least at least 40% of the of the guests have been women. And I kind of shouldn't be proud of it, but I am proud of it. No, I think there's a very good balance there. And there are a lot of guests, particularly women guests, now that you mention it, I wasn't even aware of this until you said it, but there are quite a number of female guests that I wasn't aware of until I heard them on your show. So, I mean, you you, you use the term plagiarising with regard to this show and far from plagiarism it is. All, all I'm doing is uh, is providing the platform for people to get their information out there. But there is um, there's a huge amount of information that I've stumbled across on your show. And I think it's very, very important that people do within the the alternative community if you want to call it that but certainly within the alternative media share contacts and you know I mean there has to be a cross pollination there because that's how proper discussion comes about and that's how people are exposed to valuable information that they may not be otherwise because everyone in the world doesn't listen to Alchemy everyone in the world doesn't listen to the Richie Allen show or Red Ice Radio or Alex Jones or whatever it might be in the same way as everyone in the world doesn't listen to what's on the mainstream so get it out there through as many sources as possible one thing that I certainly I'm not is protective when it comes to any information that comes out there in alchemy. It's all public domain stuff. If somebody didn't want their information out there, they wouldn't come on the show in the first place. So far be it from me or for you on your show, and I know you, you have the same attitude with regard to it as me, far be it from us to say to anybody else, well, that was my guest and you can't have that guest on your show or it's been too soon since well, I've had this guest though. on my show. You know, I mean, it's it's all out there. Get the information out there. It's about the information, not the personalities. It's nothing well, to do right. with us. You're, you're you're right, but there is a but. I'm going to slightly disagree with you. There is a but, and I know you mean what you say to your credit. Best practice is to name your sources. And 60% of the time I probably do. When I don't do, it's not malicious because I forget to do it. And it bugs me when I forget to do it. If you hear a lady or, 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 or a man on a program and they've got something really, really interesting to say and you decide to pursue that person, at the very least you should do is when you have that person on, is in the introduction, I was listening to Alchemy the other day. Fair point, fair point. And and it must be done. And uh, I was saying to you before we came on air to record that I've recently, because I'm so brutal at it, I've recently installed a little, tiny little blackboard and I make sure Every, you know, any guest I have, where did you come across that guest? Now, I've got a guest coming on today, and I came across the guest. First of all, a listener contacted me, but then, um, is it Buzzsaw or Buzzfeed? It's Buzzfeed that Sean Stone presents. And I saw Sean do a great interview with this guy. It's absolutely remiss, and it's certainly wrong of me not to say, when I came across this Sean Stone. Now, Sean might have got the guy from somewhere else. It doesn't matter. That's 
where I sourced it. So you're absolutely right because you're not at all precious. But at the same time, that's one way that you will spread information around. And not that you need any publicity because alchemy is established and has been for a long time. But if one person goes, alchemy, uh, interviewed this guy, uh, Mads, right? Bang, well, I'm on to alchemy then. Or vice versa. Richie who? Right, I'll check that out then. Um, so yeah, and, and because I was trained that way, you know, it bugs me. And then when I criticise other people for doing it, I'm a hypocrite when, you know, well, you know, if I've not done it myself. But, um, you're, but, but otherwise, your central point is 100% right. The personality thing, we could do a whole programme on that, by the way. My, <laughs> my misgivings about the conduct of certain producers. I never say it because, again, being old school, you learn very quickly. Never, ever speak ill of anybody else who's doing anything. I never have done. But I, I've got grave misgivings at times about the, the motivations, let's say, John, behind certain people who put out certain programmes. That's all I'm going to... And I'm not talking about CIA and all this nonsense now. I'm not. But I'm talking about, you know, people furthering their own agenda, people wanting to become well-known. The celebrity agenda, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which bugs me. You know, you see on social media all the time, oh, guys, the shill CIA. I think you're missing the point. You're missing the point. It's got nothing to do with shill CIA. That particular guy is more interested in him and who he is and what he has to say than whether or not anybody understands anything. And... We have as much of that, I think, in the independent media as we do in the, in, the, in the mainstream media, but I would never name names. I would say, people, you are discerning enough yourselves to decide when somebody wants to be famous or when somebody wants to introduce you to information that you wouldn't previously have gotten. Simple as that. But yeah, I've got, you know, I've got my own issues. <laughs> but I'm not going to say anything. Oh, we all have our own issues, trust me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, with regard to guests and topics then, Richie, over the past year and a half what are the standout topics for you the ones closest to your heart and then I will ask you in a little while then some of your favourite guests as well um, and people can of course go to your archives then and check them out so in terms of the topics what are the ones that have really stood out or maybe the ones that you weren't quite aware of or that weren't really on your register before you started the show that have become big issues for you I interviewed a series of people in the mid part of last year at different times from different parts of the world that talked about satanic child abuse, satanic elements to child abuse, satanic rituals. And I was absolutely knocked sideways. And in those interviews, I was, um, I, 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 was saying, I was saying to these guests, I was saying, you know, haunting rituals where children are haunted and all this. People, they just won't believe that. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but that's, to people, that's way, way beyond their heads. And, and all of the guests that were on and all these interviews are all archived, they were, they were obviously telling the truth. They obviously believed what it was that they were saying. Now that's, of course, different to whether it happened or not, you know, whether you believe it or not. Mm. But they believed it. And the stories were so eerily similar. And they were coming from all different parts of the world, Australia, North America. And I was able to quickly determine that none of these people had any contact with one another. They didn't know one another. They had no social media connection. They were telling these stories. And I was flabbergasted, dumbfounded by it. And funny thing with David, uh, David's got a great sense of humour and he was laughing at me, don't you read my books? <laughs> yes, I, I did, but, 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 but reading them, it probably went over my head as well. You know, because I'm reading it thinking, right, these things are being claimed by people. And it's obviously, it's so horrible, it's just not staying with me. And I, 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 did, I did a series of these interviews that culminated with a woman called Sandra Fecht coming on, who's a psychotherapist in Canada mm. 
And she started hearing these stories from her patients telling the same types of stories. That sticks out from last year because, um, you know, I heard David talking about it before, but it was um, to hear all of these people from different parts of the world, not connected, telling basically the same stories. Well, John, that was um, that was amazing. That was a big deal. That that was, um, you know, that was that was that was a real tipping point for me coming coming to understand that this is real stuff, that this has happened, that this is happening, and. You know, these are not fantasy stories. Because at the same time, certain elements of the mainstream media in Britain, namely the truly, truly dreadful, he's going back on his word and not to bad mouth anybody, but the truly dreadful um, LBC, now a national station, previously a London station, when um, Tories, because that's what they are, Ian Dale, a former Tory, um, making statements on his programme that this is all fantasy, witch hunter, nonsense. Uh, outrageous I, I began to think wow what stood out for me uh, over Christmas I interviewed the family of Stephen Avery you know the Making a Murderer Netflix uh, show yeah uh, I had the family on I, I was the first um, and I'm not into first I'm not into Boston but I was the first European radio or television presenter in fact I'm the only one none of the mainstream media over here have done it I interviewed the whole family they all sat around the phone and spoke to me for an hour about um, the, the, the show and what happened to Stephen Avery mm. And um, and Brendan, of course, uh, the uh, the cousin. Um, that was kind of amazing uh, to hear what you know to, to hear these people talk about what might be one of the worst miscarriages of justice in American uh, in, in 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 U.S. history. Um, people like Ray McGovern coming on, you know, radio CIA guy, yeah, unbelievable. Um, David did a two-hour special for me back in August of last year or September, which was two hours about his own. It was nothing but David's two. It was nothing but David's twenty-five year research of child abuse. That was all we talked about for two hours. Mm. That was incredible. That uh, listening to that, listening to him talking about Ted Heath and while Heath was alive, some of the stuff David said, trying to provoke Heath into suing him for libel at the time. Um, amazing stuff. Uh, Irish guy called Tom Darcy spoke to me about banks and politicians and people being driven to suicide in Ireland. Uh, he was so eloquent. Yeah, Tom, this, Tom is you, really, you know, Tom really good. Well, of course. Yeah. And I, I knew you would. And in fact, you put me on to Tom. It, it must be said as well, you put me on to him. People like that, you know, Andrea Davison still hiding out in, um, in, in, in South America, you know, because of what she said about child abuse coming on the show. Uh, there's, there's been so many uh, amazing men and women. Uh, Sherry Tenpenny, banned from Australia for talking about vaccines. Great woman, we got her on early. Renee Eves, the former Miss Bikini World who um, had that amazing corruption case against the police in New South Wales and all these amazing women and men that sometimes they come out of the woodwork, John, as you well know, they contact you. It's not great detective work or great journalism. You, yeah. you just get an email. Hey, Richie, I'm Sherry Tenpenny. Why the hell are you not interviewing me? You know, all right, well, fair enough then, Sherry. Come on tomorrow. You know, people say, oh, Richie, you're a great producer. So much of the time, it's not true. So much of the time, I heard you have a program. You should be talking to me. Bingo, and then, and then uh, they come on. I suppose one of the most one that stands out over the years, one of the most difficult ones. Um, I interviewed a wonderful, wonderful woman from New York early last year. Intelligent, educated, unbelievably brainy, and um, beautiful into the bargain. Everything going for her. her name was Alyssa Nethery. Alyssa had the baby who was given thirteen vaccines in one day mm. and dropped dead a few days later, and is still fighting to this day to have the autopsy reports given to her, to have 
you know, the, the, the reports say that the cause of death had something to do with the vaccinations. Never forget listening to that and struggling to keep composed as she was talking about um, um, the, the, you know, what happened to her and her family yes. and, and her, beautiful, uh, her, her beautiful child. These things, John, um, it's, we've, well, I think it's been nearly 700 guests in 18 months, I think. Maybe, maybe, maybe a bit more than that. In the early days, it was difficult to get everything on YouTube because I didn't have any help. And um, none, that, none, that, that were, none that really went south or really went bad because uh, you do get bad ones sometimes time. you get interviews that don't go well oh you do and some people can be trickier than others to interview of course yeah and there were some when it was like trying to get blood out of a stone and <laughs> there, you know there were some people who I think when I was interviewing them they were like what am I doing on this programme that's going out on David like what am I doing that for and you know and trying to salvage something out of that we've, we've, we've had fun with that mm. but um, no mate by and large um, it's been an absolute joy you know it's been a joy uh, to speak to people who have experienced the system up close and personal, you know, to the point where it's damaged their lives or hurt them in some way, and for them to come on then and say, "This is what happened to me," you know, beware of it, it's going on, and uh, and then you know sometimes feeling it, not not always, but sometimes feeling at the end of a program at ten o'clock at night, thinking, "Right, well, that was a good show. That we did something there, you know, yeah. we 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 helped." maybe just by an inch. We moved maybe people just an inch further forward in terms of getting to where we need to be, where we understand this sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's been uh, it's been great. You've been on with me a couple of times, not been for a long time. It's been a long time since you're on. I think it was last May or last June you were on. We must get you back on again soon because so much has happened for you since then. <laughs> Another and epic Ireland, rant on the way. <laughs> another epic rant. But no, it's important. And of course in Ireland and nobody, you know, you and, and, and Ben Gilroy and laterally Claire Daly, nobody articulates just what's happened to Ireland, what the, uh, the trike and what the institutions have done to Ireland better than you guys. And it's important that people hear that, particularly as we're coming ever closer to an in-out an in referendum here in England on June the 23rd your voice my friend will be important for English people to hear you know just what has happened to Ireland to, to, to Spain to Greece to Italy and other countries mm. uh, never more vital but um, John it's a joy to make this you know I know you find it the same when you make alchemy you love speaking to the people you speak to I love it all the difficult work during the day and at the weekends when you prefer to be somewhere else but you have to do it it's all worthwhile during the two hour slot when you're sitting there and tweets are flying in and people are, I can't believe that, what, what this woman went through and what she's managed to achieve and look at what you can do and all of that. It's just, it's always worthwhile. And you see, you know, that's one yeah. of the big differences between your show and mine and so many shows. You're doing it live and there is a great buzz from live radio and that you have that real-time interaction with other human beings. And that must be a, a great source of, um, I suppose, stamina for you when you have to do the long hours and everything. Live radio is great fun, isn't it? It's brilliant, John. It's brilliant. And you get, like you said, you get that instant reaction as to how it's going instantly so you know whether it's it's grabbing people the person who's being interviewed who's on there and um i embraced twitter very early in the program even though i didn't know much about twitter and i wasn't mm. on twitter so because i did and i really pushed the audience to getting on there um some some far out conspiracy theorists now would say richie's pushing people onto twitter what i was trying to do was i said look 
don't send me emails. I don't have a producer. I can't read three paragraphs. Yeah. But say what it is you want to say, and I'll read it out, good, bad, or indifferent. Whether it's complimentary or not, particularly if it isn't, it's more likely to get read out. Um, and probably, at the moment, I suppose we, I suppose we get three to 400 tweets a show, probably. That's a huge number. I mean, what, what, what a reach. Yeah. That's a lot. And, and, and at times then, you have to apologise, you know. I, I can't get through all of them. Because we, we've evolved, people like you and I have evolved to the point where seven-minute interviews used to scare us. When I started out, a seven-minute interview was mm. a long time. Mm. How do I get some, you know, how do I stretch that for seven minutes? Now, people like you and I are at the point where 45 minutes isn't enough. How amazing is that? It is amazing. Years ago, you know, you'll never, Richie, you, there'll be a day when you'll be doing interviews that last for 40, 45 minutes. I wouldn't have believed them, John. And if they'd have said, and at the end of those interviews, sometimes you'd be going, damn, we could have done 90 minutes. <laughs> you know? That's it. Like, I remember when I started uh, with the music shows that I do, and I started interviewing um, other producers and guests. People were saying to me, within radio, were saying to me, God, your interview was five minutes. That's way too long. you got to get that down to three. And I understand where they're coming from with regard to the flow of the show and that type of show. But like you, if somebody had said to me, you would be doing an interview that's over an hour with anyone, I would have laughed in their face because I would have thought, how could I possibly have enough information to be able to speak to somebody with confidence for that length of time, particularly about a topic that they know more about than me. And it's just, it's a journey, really. I mean, you look at the lengths of your show, it's two hours every single day. My show is somewhere between an hour and two hours, albeit not with the same frequency. And it just feels totally natural now. It's more conversational for me than it is about necessarily having a set interview. I mean, I I say that to all the guests who come on here before we go on air. This is not about a set interview. It's about their platform to get their information out in the way that they're most comfortable with. And I'm just here to facilitate that. And I'm really passionate about that. And that's kind of the ethos of what I do with Alchemy. And you're very much, from what I can tell from listening to you constantly on the radio, you're very much of that same mindset. Yeah, time is so huge. I'll mention Jean Ann again. And remember Jean Ann saying to me, do you know what I really love about programs like this? Is that these people who've obviously got important things to say, they're given time. They have loads and loads of time to expand on what it is they're saying and to develop it and to explain it properly. Of course, in mainstream, five, six minutes. You know, um, interesting enough, the last time anybody asked me to do anything was a few weeks ago. Uh, John Gaunt asked me to come on his radio programme. And I got back to him and said, no, I'm not going to be insulted and uh, shouted at by you for six minutes so that you can, uh, you know, show that you're a big guy to your to your listeners. Mm. Now I know going to bowl because I interviewed him in Spain a few times, and he's not the worst guy to ever live, John Gaunt, at all. Um, but he's, um, you know, he's an attack dog, Richard Little John type. Um, and I said, well, what can you possibly get out of me in seven minutes, John? You want to attack my ideas and you want to attack the sort of show that it is I present. I'm quite happy for you to attack it, but let's have a chat for 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 a half an hour or 35 minutes where you don't keep jumping down my throat but he's not interested in that mm. and you know turn that around what's the point in me bringing you or, or anybody in Ireland who's bang on the money about what's happening to Ireland what's the point in bringing you on for 6 or 7 minutes what can you possibly say in that time nothing and of course that's the way the media works and it's meant to work like that it's not meant to give people the whole picture it isn't you said earlier on in this conversation and you were absolutely spot on to say it if they were doing it right there wouldn't be any need for us 
whatsoever. They're not going to speak to how many men and women. Look at Zoe Constantopoulou, former Speaker of the Greek Parliament, broken off from the Syriza party to form another party. She's absolutely decimating what the European Union project is and what it was always meant to be in, in, in some interviews with some independent media outlets. She's absolutely on the money. Nobody's going to bring her on and say, right, we've got 25 minutes now, half an hour. They might bring her on hard talk on the BBC for 15 minutes where they spend most of the time shouting her down and trying to embarrass her. So we exist because, you know, she's not agreed to come on my programme. I hope she will do soon. She's been asked a few times. Come on and explain what exactly happened to Greece because you were right there watching it unfold. Yeah. You know, and... I, you know, we, we have an audience, we've, we, we've a decent sized audience and some of those are not, you know, wide awake to what's going on. So let's do that. And that's kind of why we exist. And it's wonderful to hear that from people. It's great. It's great, Richie. Nobody has ever emailed me. I've had plenty of critical emails. I get all the time critical emails. Oh, you, are, you should have asked this or you should have said this. Brilliant. Not one email has ever come into me in 18 months to say, you, uh, that went on too long. Yeah. That's incredible. I have to say it's the same nobody has ever criticised the length and I'm very open to all feedback of um, I mean there have been some some very interesting emails that have come in over the over the years that I've been doing it and I'm sure you've received quite a number also but with regard to the length and the presentation of the information everything has been either constructively critical or positive and I think that's uh, that's one of the things that keeps me going the fact that I know people by and large, are enjoying as well as getting value from what it is that I'm doing and I'm sure it's the same for you. That's a huge driving force for me and a big, big, big factor. Like Feedback is essential. I love getting feedback um, and by all means, if you've got some constructive criticism, hit me right between the two eyes with it because I will take it on board. You know, and I hope that this is going to sound really, really like I'm up my own arse now, but I'm not. I hope that through approaching it the way we approach it because we approach it in exactly the same way mm. I hope that content producers beginning to do what it is that we're doing I hope they might be somehow influenced by that because one of the things that is sometimes sometimes it makes you smile and, and, it, and it's brilliant other times it's a bit frustrating there are some brilliant people making programs and they are far 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 more advanced in their understanding of things than I am. But God loves them, having had no help ever, having had no you know, basic training in, in how to do it and how to look at putting together a program. They lose you know, possibly, potentially a vast audience because of that. And that's a tragedy. We used to talk about that at TPV, I used to say to David, because David used to say, oh, Richie, you know, like you said before, you bring a polished approach to it. And I said, wouldn't, we, wouldn't it be so much better if people who are much further down the road than I am and understand what's going on could have that. Because you can never have everything. This is the thing, you can never have everything. Mm. I don't have the understanding, but I have that kind of training in how to put together a program. And I hope that people like you and I will rub off on people and they will say, right, look how, look how, you know, to use the word polished, to use the word glossy, those programs are. There's a lot to be said for that. So that's the kind of road I'm going to go down. I'd like to think that there might be some influencing of people along those lines. I'd like to think that producers of brilliant content might um, listen to us or, or just take my program, for example, and might say, God, that Richie guy doesn't really have a clue. Um, he doesn't understand. But 
Sounds good. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if that could be something that you could influence going forward, without trying to sound like you're up your own arse and that you think you're better than everybody else, because we certainly are not, but maybe it's something that we need to talk about a bit more, how it's produced. Hmm. I think so, and we can all learn from each other, and everybody has got different yeah. skill sets and different talents and different perspectives to bring to the table. And as long as we're open, I mean, Henrik Palmgren from Red Ice has been a huge influence on me. I mean, the format right. of this yeah. show is very similar to Red Ice. And, I mean, it was just a massive, massive influence for me, uh, along with a number of other shows, as was the mainstream and the way the mainstream media put things together. My content is very, very different and my perspective is very different, but in terms of the production values that we have spoken about at length on the show here today. And, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a very noble viewpoint. I think if there was anything to be gleaned from what we're talking about and the machinations of putting alternative um, media together... I don't think there's any real difference between putting mainstream media and alternative media. Putting media together is putting media together. It's just about how honest you are with it in terms of the content. And, I mean, we don't censor our content, and nor are we about to start doing that in the way that much of the mainstream media does. But the production values don't necessarily need to be stripped back, and everything doesn't have to be completely raw in the alternative. It doesn't, it doesn't mean there aren't good things from the mainstream media and the way that they put content together because let's yeah. face it who's more experienced than the likes of the BBC or NBC or any any of these uh, big um, I mean they're, they're seen as evil by so many people but they know how to put content together so if we can take the good bits from what they do and combine them with the better bits that we have to bring to the table well then we've got an absolute monster on our hands and I think the alternative media is benefiting from shows such as yours Richie I mean I've seen there, there are more and more shows out there in the 18 months since you've been on air that seem to be be it consciously or subconsciously or maybe they're not even aware of your show at all but they seem to be mirroring the style of show that you have and I think that's a very very healthy thing it is absolutely right yeah yeah I mean what, I spend so much time during the week listening to radio I listen to the BBC four and five morning programmes, the RTE morning earning programme, um, or the equivalent of it now when I when I hear it. And uh, yeah, I'm always thinking, you know, I'm 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 keeping score, John, when I'm listening to these programmes. Mm. You know, I'm thinking, sounded good that, sounded good. I like the way they segued from this into that. I like the sound of those. I mean, I, I get the jingles made up. I, I I took a real, you know, conscious decision very early on to you know to get um you know a proper um sound editing company to do up proper jingles i wanted people to to listen to it and, and to think they were listening to the radio which they are of course but not that they're listening to independent radio yeah and um you know when i'm listening to these programs i'm always keeping scores thinking good yeah good stuff that was that was good that was well handled um that's a really good way of phrasing that keep that in mind and and um yeah i'm ambitious as well, you know, not not financially ambitious, but I'm ambitious in terms of the reach of the program. You know, if we reach X amount of listeners in uh, in in March 2016, I'm hoping that by March 2017, that you know, 15% or 20% will have grown by that that amount. But I also, maybe I'm naive, but I do believe in my heart of hearts, and I want to believe that you know, we're not too far away from the time I'm, I won't need to be doing the program when, you know, the cabal and their foot soldiers who inhabit the corridors of our parliaments are gone. I don't mean dead or murdered, but they're gone because we'll eventually have the courage to not to go and stand outside Westminster Palace and protest or outside the Dáil and protest, 
but actually go there in large numbers to say, listen, get out. Your time is up. We're, we're not going anywhere. Yeah, you know, get out. We're not having this anymore. It's well worth remembering as well that these people don't have power unless we cede our power to them. I mean, do people really need to be represented or represented? I'm happy to present myself as I am in the way that I think I should be presented. I don't need anybody uh, to, to be elected by other people to represent me. So I totally take on board what you're saying there. Again, that's a very noble standpoint and it shows the depth of thought that goes into what it is you do. And that is definitely something lacking in the, in the mainstream. I mean, most people do it for paycheck. We're not doing this for paycheck. We need a certain amount of money to keep things afloat because as you mentioned earlier, that is the paradigm that we currently are existing within. But that's not what it's all about. And I have to say, Richie, you've really set the alternative media alight with the show over the last 18 months. The figure that you quoted there, 700 guests in 18 months, that is just absolutely phenomenal. And the quality of guests as well. I mean, as somebody who listens re- religiously, it's it's just uh, something to behold. So, Richie, keep up the fantastic work. And in terms of future plans for the show, what's on the agenda over the next couple of months? Is it to continue as you are and just keep organically developing and growing? Or do you have any kind of incendiary bombs that you can drop on us here in terms of what content you have coming up? Well, one of the things that is in the, is in the offing, is, and this isn't a new idea now at all, it's been done millions of times, but um, BVTV in Manchester, they want to film one of the shows a week and put it on TV, radio on television, we've seen this before, it's not new, but um, but it'll be interesting because the guests then will be visible, because our, our guests will be visible on Skype video, and they've, they've, they're going to build a lovely studio for it. And just one night a week, people will be able to actually see it as opposed to hear it, but if you're an audio listener, nothing will change you'll still hear it and you won't miss out other than seeing my ugly mug and probably seeing uh, Hayden Hewitt who's also got an ugly mug uh, by the way liveleak.com's uh, Hayden Hewitt so that's one we all do it's uh, why we're in radio oh no you are gorgeous <laughs> let's, let's stop with the lies now yeah you know with your lovely long hair and everything and, and the, the way uh, watching you on YouTube doing some of the gigs with the gear and the glasses and everything you, you made me sick um, <laughs> hair, hair is a distant memory for me oh, a long great. time ago but that's, um, that's the plan, and to increase the reach of the radio programme by more and more and more bearing in mind that our target audience isn't those who like our shows because they already get it. And mm. of course, these, you know, these are our friends and they're very valuable, and it's good they're listening, but they know what's going on. So to try and make more of a dent in people by expanding the reach, really, I suppose, and trying to find a, the big plan now for the next six or eight months or a year is to try and find a stable financial setting for the programme, whether that's through trying to bring in more money through the YouTube thing or eventually bringing in a half a dozen advertisers. I'd love to do that. I'd love to eventually be able to say to the listeners, right, we've got some ethical companies that we like whom are going to give us a bit of sponsorship and we will eventually... You know, maybe get enough YouTube funding coming in through the monetization, just in case people don't understand. Yeah. When you monetize your YouTube stuff, there's a little bit of money comes in. If that could be grown, I would. My ambition always was to say to the listeners, right, you no longer have to fund this now. I'd love to do that because it still bothers me. And I know it bothers you. Absolutely. It doesn't yeah. sit easy with us asking people, you know, to donate because it's not where we're from. It's not an Irish thing. We don't like it, but um, but it's necessary. But yeah, look out for the TV uh, you know, once, once uh, it might be a sorry, it might be the end of the week is Thursday because the live league show will start straight after it. And uh, 
that'll be kind of exciting as well. Um, and of course, this year and next year, um, he certainly wouldn't kill me if I didn't mention it. But because we're on, you know, you know, big things happen this year and next year. Uh, the old man uh, himself is touring around the world in 2016, 2017. All of the details are at his website. You, you won't mind me giving a plug for that. Of course not. Uh, Davidike.com and, uh, and an exclusive for the Alchemy Show is that um, I, I think he's booked the Helix in Dublin. So. Uh, yeah, you, you of course you. Well, that is a huge uh, exclusive. Yeah, the Helix. Yeah, yeah. The, the Jamie David son was in Dublin. I think they've settled on uh, the Helix. So David is going to be in, and uh, you'll be there, of course, next year. Uh, you've known David a long time. Done some amazing interviews with him, and you know Gareth and Jamie very well. Mm. Um, yeah, so he's coming to uh, to Dublin. The, the Manchester show in January the fourteenth next year is nearly sold out, amazingly, uh, and and loads of the other ones as well. So it's a big year for him. And he asked me to do a very nice thing, which I was really, really, really proud to do. He, he's going to be introduced through um, a little video, which is kind of like a little, it's kind of like a little life story. Yeah. And uh, he asked me to narrate that, which is which was amazing because I, I don't have that kind of uh, in a world, in a world where John Gibbons is the only DJ in the world. I don't have that kind of voice. He said, "Just do it. I want you to do it." So I did that. I was thrilled uh, uh, to do that and. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm not, you know, I, I might see him in London this year. It's more than likely it'll be, um, it'll be Manchester for me next year, mm. and I, I, I might try and get to see him in Europe just to just to meet up with him somewhere, maybe in Spain. So, uh, so, so, so it's a big year. It's a massive year for you, of course, as well, my friend. Huge year. Yeah, lots of stuff happening. Yeah, so people can, uh, of course, as it happens, find out what's going on with me and music and, of course, alchemy. I mean, alchemy will continue. And I'm endeavouring to do more and more shows and it's dependent on a combination of time and, of course, being able to afford to keep up with bandwidth costs. And I I mean, I stress, I don't like harping on about that, but any little bit, of course, goes a long way. So, uh, yeah, loads of exciting things happening and... I'd like to think that more and more people will come across the information that we endeavour to put out and take some value in some way, in their own way, uh, from it. And hopefully it just gets people's, people thinking a little bit and sparks something in them. Brilliant, John. Amen to that. So, Richie, when can people catch you live on the show? How can they catch you live on the show? What's the best way to listen to the Richie Allen Show and all the peripheral stuff that goes on around it? Yeah, well, ju- just briefly, it, it airs Monday to Thursday live and it goes out on davidike.com, on my own website, richieallen.co.uk. Um, alternate Current Radio started streaming it recently. They're nice guys. It's on the TuneIn app. But really, th- th- there's an app I want to mention and it's a it's a truth. It's called the Truth Seeker app. I want to give that a plug because and the people behind that are wonderful. They've, they've got just over a million people who've downloaded that app. Wow. And they put out conscious programs. Um, in fact, it, it's a recent thing and uh, all sorts of new programs are going to be on there, which means that if you have the app, the program just appears automatically in uh, in your feed. Uh, of course, I go out live on Fab Radio 2 uh, at Fab Radio in Manchester, fabradiointernational.com, which is um, a project in association with the Fab, with the, um, the, the magazine, uh, the Starburst magazine, which is a, a magazine for comic book enthusiasts and film enthusiasts. One of the most... Um, it's one of the biggest magazines in England for that sort of thing. And uh, that's a big thing that's happening in Manchester as well. So yeah, davidike.com, my own website, the TuneIn app, and whatever. I'm on Facebook at The Richie Allen Show on Facebook, and we post regularly about the guests coming on, and all the links are always posted on there. And uh, Monday to Thursday, 
Uh, the TV show is different. We put that on Facebook on Fridays when it's been made. On uh, It's on YouTube, and we, we put it on Facebook. And um, that's it, really. That's where people can find us, John. And I so, so, so appreciate the invitation, the opportunity to come on and talk on this outstanding programme, which I came to a few years ago in um, in um, in London when, when uh, I was at TPV. It's an outstanding show, mate. I'm so glad you're going to try and do more of them, even though you're... Your, your your schedule with touring and recording, uh, your your absolutely brilliant music has taken you, uh, you know, all around the world. You still find time to do alchemy. I'm so delighted you're doing that because uh, it's uh, so valuable. It really is. Likewise, Richie, and I appreciate the kind words. So thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been fascinating, and I hope people have been as fascinated as I have been to hear the inner workings behind a show as big as the Richie Allen Show because most people just hear the content and that's it. It's two hours a day or they dip in and out of the shows or whatever it is, but you've given a real flavour and a real insight into the grind that goes on behind it and how passionate you are about it and I mean that's reflected in the show itself but thank you so much for being so descriptive and so honest about why it is that you do what you do the Richie Allen show is a fantastic show it's a real treasure for anybody who's seeking alternative viewpoints the truth on the matter a balanced opinion and for a wide variety of all kinds of information so we'll certainly do this again Richie and thank you so much for joining me it's been a huge pleasure I have the power you have the power we have the power Richie Allen thank you for joining me on Alchemy today thank you John Alchemy Alchemy
enjoyed this latest episode of Alchemy remember we rely on donations to keep the show in its current free and ad free format and are very grateful for all the help that you can offer there's no fixed cost on any donations and every little small bit helps so for example if you could spare even the price of a cup of coffee a smoothie a milkshake a bag of chips or crisps as they're called in the UK and Ireland it will go a long way towards keeping us afloat our donate button is on the website and your support and assistance is massively appreciated thank you to everybody for your recent help and support we really couldn't do it without you it doesn't go unnoticed and we're hugely grateful don't forget alchemy is the european media partner of the free your mind conference a conference on consciousness mind control and the occult which takes place in philadelphia in april april the 15th to 17th 2016 to be precise more details on freeyourmindconference.com and basically what's it all about well it's the biggest conference in the world of its kind a three-day conference indeed featuring top caliber whistleblowers and researchers from all around the world who aim to shed light on our world's problems and bring forward empowering solutions We have a number of the speakers from the conference as guests on Alchemy in the coming weeks, so lots of juicy stuff to look forward to. Until then, I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Alchemy. Alchemy. Care. Will. Intelligence. Imagination. Imagination.